dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hi, Jenny. Holy cow, It's uh, it's been a week. A it's only Wednesday. <laughs> is, it, is that what today is? Yes, it's Wednesday. <laughs> you know, when you look at the calendar in, oh, say, October, and you're like, yeah, we can do an event a week um, all throughout the month of February. It sounds like a good idea, Kayleen. It never sounded like a good idea to me. <laughs> You'd think after 20 years, I would know to raise my hand and go, um, hi, <laughs> I'm going to need some naps. <laughs> need to wash some clothes. <laughs> need to wash some clothes. <laughs> if you have uh, flown on a plane with me recently, I apologize. <laughs> No, um, it's delightful. We we love putting on events. We love putting on our farmer education events. Don't get me wrong, folks. It is the best part of my day is um, getting up on a stage and um, doing a, a farmer panel with our Alfalfa U events. This last week, we were in uh, St. George, Utah. We were just in Gary, Nebraska the yesterday. Eight, the 18th? <laughs> the 18th, yes. Uh, yesterday, the 18th. We drove home from Gary, Nebraska, and hit the um, the parking lot at High Plains Journal at twelve forty five in the morning this morning. Yay! <laughs> you know, we're farm kids, and you just power through. You get in, you sit down, you shut up, you buckle up, and you're fed, watered, and pottied, and you go. <laughs> yeah, no stopping. Although we did make time to stop at Chimney Rock because. Some of us in the in the van had never seen Chimney Rock, and so and, and Jenny just wanted an inappropriate photo. Who doesn't want an inappropriate photo with Chimney Rock, dude? It's just begging for inappropriate photos. Look it up if you don't know what Chimney Rock is. <laughs> so we went there, and and um, it's closed for the season. They are doing some massive renovations on a new visitor center, an interpretive center of the whole Chimney Rock, and. It's a national historic site. It's not a... It's not a monument. It's not a monument. But Scott's Bluff is a national monument. So that was... Uh, I've been there before. I've seen this all before and everything. But it was fun to go and do that. And then... Um, Did you stop at Runza? Of course. <laughs> and here's the fun part. So we have a group of four of us that go and do these events. Um, it's myself. It's uh, uh, Kylie Rice, who is our marketing manager. We have um, Tammy Cork, who is a marketing genius. She does all of the the behind the scenes work. So if you've she ever, does all the hard work, <laughs> she does all the hard work. So literally, if you've ever gotten a registration at any of our events uh, at Soil Health U or Alfalfa U or any of our U events, and you've had a very nice smiling face at registration, that is Tammy Cork. And then we have Will Trowbridge, who does all of the logistics. Again, behind the scenes to make sure we have microphones that work and all mm-hmm. of that. 
So there's four of us in this uh, GMC pickup truck. <laughs> Stuffed in there. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We put the short ones in the back. It's all good. But of the four of us, two of us had not had runzas. And Kylie and I looked at each other and I'm like, well, yeah, that's what supper is on the way home. We're going through runza. <laughs> You're in Nebraska. <laughs> now, I got to say this. Um, Tammy is a little hesitant when I say, we're going to go stop here because of one event. <laughs> I took him out to Cadillac Ranch at Amarillo after Cotton U. Cadillac Ranch is a national treasure of weird, wacky, it's a living art piece because it changes because mm-hmm. everybody leaves their mark with their own, you know, spray paint. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of this installation, this art installation. And if you don't know what it is, Google it because you will find it. Google Cal- Google Cadillac Ranch. It is the weird and wonderful thing that Amarillo has, okay? <laughs> and it changes every, it changes hourly. With every single visitor that goes there, they leave their mark, they leave their, you know, their paint strokes, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I take them out there. Tammy was not impressed. <laughs> I don't think she quite got the spirit of it. <laughs> so, um, and ever- I'm surprised she hasn't had Runza because she's Czech descent, I, and you know that's where she's from, Northern Kansas. Her child lives in Lawrence, which is the location yeah. of the only Runza in the state of Kansas. I might have an addiction, people. Okay. <laughs> Just, you know, let me be. So for those of you listeners who are like, what the heck is Runza? It's R-U-N-Z-A. And it is basically a beer rock. Now, for those of you that are like, what's a beer rock? A beer rock is a uh, bread pouch <laughs> bread pouch filled with deliciously savory um, ground hamburger or ground um, sausage, whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, typically cabbage and sometimes onions. And a little bit of seasonings, et cetera. Sometimes you can put cheese in them, but that's a beer rock. It's a, it's a pocket meal, okay? Mm-hmm. They were brought to us by the Volga Germans who settled pretty much all of Kansas. So somebody in Nebraska decided they were going to trademark this and they called them Runzas. <laughs> no, it's not a Runza. It's a beer rock. You just figured out how to make it in, a, in an atmosphere of, um, of, of a drive through and I'm okay with it. <laughs> call it a beer rock, call it a runza. It's delicious and you should go. That's uh, that's your PSA for that's today. That's my PSA. <laughs> your TED talk for today. <laughs> well, so we go there and Tammy is hesitant. So is Will. And Kylie and I are like, yep, we want, you know, runza special <laughs> with the frings. And we just order like old hands. <laughs> and um, so they get their runzas and they take a bite. And uh, Will's eyes, he he looks up and he goes, hey. And I go, yep, it's everything you ever dreamed, isn't it? And Tammy goes, you know, this isn't too bad. Maybe you you are in charge of, you know, taking us to destinations. I know, ask the chubby girl where it's good to eat, people, okay? It's not like we don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how was your week? <laughs> I've been building pages, so I've been in hell. <laughs> oh, honey. So if you get your um, High Plains journal this week and you're like, well, it, something looks a little different. It's because our normal page designer is on a very well-deserved 40th anniversary trip. Yeah, like three la- three years late, I think. Yeah, they're, on the, they're working on their 45th anniversary. <laughs> She's finally taking her 40th anniversary trip. Um, we love uh, Diana, and we wish her and Royden the happiest two weeks of 
traveling across the eastern half of the United States, seeing family and all that. But Kayleen is building pages. So if anything in the back half looks off, yeah, that's my fault. Oh, you're doing just <laughs> fine. But how the, how are the boys? They're boys. <laughs> <laughs> they both got in trouble at school the other day and promptly got told, you know, as my parents told me, if you get in trouble at school, you get in trouble at home. Oh, yeah. So they had chores to do when we got home. And actually, it went over very well. So okay. my floor got swept <laughs> and their rooms got cleaned. <laughs> and no iPad. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. Well, um, yeah. So we're we're finishing up with Alfalfa Youth tomorrow here in Dodge City. That's uh, February 20th for those of you listening um, after this. And then next week, it's Commodity Classic back to San Antonio, Kayleen. Yeah. We just can't get enough of that town. <laughs> the irony is, is somebody came away with the coronavi- coronavirus in San Antonio right after NCBA. Really? Like right about the time we were there at the first week of the month, they diagnosed somebody with coronavirus, not affiliated with the, the meeting, of course. It's just happenstance. But Nice. Yeah. And then I have this cough. Maybe you're the carrier. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Watch me just, you know, be the uh, Spread your patient germs. zero. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Don't shake my hand. <laughs> well, if you got a comment or a thought, you can drop us a line at hbjtalk at hbj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. Hey, and do us a favor and head on over to iTunes if you could, and or wherever you download your podcast, leave us a review. That'd be a great present to ease my cough, okay? <laughs> Well, in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the February 17th print edition, and we're going to have a chat with dairy farmer and blogger Carrie Mess, better known as Dairy Carrie to you and me. Uh, Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have some final thoughts. So come on in out of the cold after you've gotten your chores done and ride along with us here on HPJ Talk. story this week is from Kayleen. Doubled haploid techniques help improve sorghum breeding time frames. Kayleen, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I got the story from the folks over at the sorghum checkoff and they have paired up with researchers at some various plant breeding organizations that started out to be Pioneer and whatever Pioneer has evolved to, I believe it's Corteva AgriScience now. Um, they've been working on a breeding technique that allows them to get homozygous lines into the program. And it's the shortest route to obtain the instant homozygous lines. And it gives them the pure production lines that they need to breed the sorghum. And Justin Weinheimer of the Checkoff and Cleve Franks, I both spoke to them. Um, they've both been involved with the project since the beginning. And Justin told me that as for sorghum, this breeding system greatly increases the scale as to which um, the sorghum breeding program can generate parent lines, thus drastically increasing the number of hybrids they test each year. I know when I, I looked at doubled haploids in wheat, it takes the time of from conception of the idea of the variety that you're looking for to, to actual, it's in a farmer's field in production. That timeline is usually 12 years. Mm-hmm. It drops it down to like one or two. 
Yeah. It's, for it's sorghum, it was seven years. Yeah, yeah. For, it was seven years, and it drops it down to two. So that means um, it puts dollars in farmers' pockets because they are waiting less time for yeah. traits that they need in the field. That's great, Kayleen. Yeah. Um, you also had some some uh, story about Sonny Purdue over at NCBA, right? Yeah, he was one of the speakers during the general session. And, of course, you know, they talk sustainability, and that's the buzzword in ag right now. And the uh, NCBA was no different. Every session I sat in, I believe they talked about sustainability of some sort. And, again, Sonny Purdue said that he – everyone has a different definition as to what sustainability is. And for him, it's environmental, social, and economic. The three-legged stool. Yep. And – he said, preaching to the choir almost, mm-hmm. because farmers and ranchers are the biggest conservationists out there. They're, they wouldn't be sustainable if they, you know, the ranch has been around 100 years. Mm-hmm. They obviously are sustainable. Yeah. You know, a lot of people look at conservation and they want that vision of that piece of property to be the same each and every time they come out um, from their town and they go on vacation and they want to see it exactly the same way year after year after year. Yeah. They don't understand nature is it constantly changing and evolving and and moving and so it's a it's a living resource. Conservation is making sure that that's there so that um it can it can act in nature as nature should be. So. Yeah. Interesting. Uh Tim Unruh also, he's one of our contributors. He also had a couple stories in this issue from the our Soil Health U event which was January 22nd, 23rd in Salina, Kansas. His stories, regenerative shift with international flair and and change a must is a must to keep the Robinson Farm alive are in this issue as well, if you want to check those out. Mm-hmm. Contributor David Murray has a story about how Kellogg is going to phase out glyphosate in, from the supply chain. That's a little bit controversial. It is. Well, it's controversial because uh, glyphosate is actually used in northern um, states that produce um, cereals, mm-hmm. they it, they use it as a drying agent, um, not a drying agent, but they use it to um, speed up the the speed of harvest. Yeah. And so they can get that, that crop out of the field if there's weather on the horizon. We don't use it in that manner in the southern states that are growing cereal crops. we have no problem with drying down. We have no problem <laughs> with drying down. And so that's, a, that's something that a lot of folks up north are, are a little bit concerned about. It's it's obviously something they should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Field editor Lacey Newland had a story about rural stress and care, how carrying the yoke of the family farm can be detrimental to mental health. And that story's on page 11. And Jenny, you had a column this week, Little <laughs> Eyes Are Watching. You know what, Kayleen? I had the experience in my lifetime because I got to, I've met Baxter Black um, many times before, at least a couple of times in my lifetime, you know. He is a fixture at Cattlemen's Meetings, and he is just a wonderful national treasure. So I, I went up to him at uh, NCBA this last year, and I shook his hand and said, hey, you know what? I have a career because you and Irma Bombeck were on my refrigerator. <laughs> and then the man decided to polka with me. And then they danced in the aisles. <laughs> then we danced in the aisles. He's just the dearest, sweetest, most wonderful national treasure that we have and he is the biggest cheerleader for farmers and ranchers and cattlemen and, and livestock producers. And, and we are all blessed to have him around. So I, I kind of put that into words. And <laughs> I, was, I was really tickled. I got to dance with Baxter. And she's got a video of it on social media somewhere. I do have a video of it. I'm going to have to share it on the HPJ Talk um, 
on the HPTH talk stuff. So, On our opinion and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier wrote about President's Day in his column titled, President's Day is a time to reflect on what commanders-in-chief mean to ag. In the Washington Whispers column, Seymour clearly discusses proposing and disposing, and Pete Bonds, past president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, penned a letter to the editor, Property Taxes, the New Urban Attack on Agriculture. Field editor Lacey Newland has a story about grazing goats that leads off the livestock section. Although often thought of as the most mischievous animals in the barnyard, goats are making their mark these days with their unique taste in vegetation, athletic abilities, and willingness to go where nothing else will go. Goat brush eating businesses are becoming more popular and making waves as a means of sustainable regenerative agriculture. And you can always check out that story online anytime at www.hpj.com. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. This week, we spoke with Carrie Mess, more commonly known as Dairy Carrie. Carrie had a viral blog post, Dear Joaquin, and this was her reaction to what Hollywood star Joaquin Phoenix said at the Oscars February 9th. Some of you might have caught the Oscars ceremony Sunday, February 9th. If you did, you would have seen uh, actor Joaquin Phoenix accept an Oscar for his role in The Joker. In his acceptance speech, he railed against dairy and livestock production. So basically, he put animals on the same level as women, minorities, LGBTQ+, indigenous peoples, and more. Because he feels using animals for food is disconnected from nature. His quote's not mine, folks. I mean, not to cast stones, but Joaquin was pretty disconnected from a lot of his life for most of the 2000s. But hey, sure, dairy. Dairy's the devil. So anywho, (laughs) um, this week we're chatting with Carrie Chestnut Mess. Um, Carrie Mess, to a lot of us. She's a dairy farmer from Wisconsin whose blog post, Dear Joaquin, went viral on her site, Dairy Carrie. So, Carrie, welcome to HPJ Talk and the podcast. Hey there. All right. So, we've known each other for quite a few years. Um, You know, we've talked many times about your work as um, an advocate for agriculture, and uh, you've had the blog for quite some time. So, it's not like you're new to this whole whole, um, sphere of things. (laughs) So let's talk about that speech. What was your first reaction? I mean, you're a dairy farmer and dairy farmers have had a tough time. So how did that just kind of stick in your craw? Yeah, well, you know, it was great. I really appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I didn't hear anything that night. I didn't watch the Oscars. I was doing other stuff. Um, I've got little kids in a dairy farm. Like Oscars weren't on my radar. So I saw the blow up the next day. That's how I heard about it. And um, first thing I learned is he said, what? Yeah. <laughs> I went and found a YouTube clip and I was like listening to his speech and I was like, this is actually pretty good. I'm, I'm liking it. And then the train hopped the tracks uh-huh. and he threw in these couple of digs at dairy. And I was like, okay, Joaquin, I know you're a vegan. You've been a vegan for a very long time, but what the what was that? Uh-huh. Um, so 
much outrage online. I really debated about whether I should post and draw any more attention to it or not. So um, we like to shoot ourselves in the foot in agriculture a lot because we make a big deal about everything. And half the time, um, before we start talking about it, the only people who are talking about it are farmers. And we're really good at bringing a lot of attention to topics <laughs> that nobody else is paying attention to. Oopsie! Um, but, <laughs> but I saw several of my non-farm friends talking about it. And that's when I knew he, he had struck a chord outside of ag. And I decided to write a post to him. So it was... It was something, I guess. Uh, I just really needed to say something about that. Well, I tell you what, you've been um, you've been active on social, have been since the beginning of, I don't know, I privately call them the social wars, Kayleen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, it just seems like there's more and more of, in, in my in my viewpoint, and granted, I'm not on there as much as, as a lot of folks are because, you know, um, I'm just, I, I, I'm more of a lurker, Carrie, than, than right. a poster. <laughs> right, I, I get that. But have you seen vegan and, and those types of voices becoming more or less active or more or less venomous in the last decade or so? So, no. Okay. They've always been there. Um, the, there's more people that they're attacking because there's more people out there telling our story. So when you and I first met, Jenny, mm-hmm. I had just started blogging. I did the hay drive, um, sending hay down to Texas and Oklahoma during their drought. And that's when we first met. And back then, advocacy was so small. Everyone that was doing it knew everyone else that was doing it. Um, And, you know, we were making impacts, but it wasn't like it is today. So now today, you know, this whole time we've We've been telling others, tell your story, tell your story, tell your story, and, and people actually listen. And they're out there telling their stories. And so there's a lot more farm pages, a lot more people out there that, you know, vegan activists or, or anti-GMO activists or any kind of activist um, can comment on their page and all that. So I don't think that it's any louder than it used to be. It just feels like it for those of us in ag because it's this page and this page and this page, you know, all dealing with this kind of stuff. So, and again, a lot of times, because a lot of our pages are pretty, um, pretty centric in ag, even when we're trying to talk to those outside of the crowd, a lot, you know, generally a lot of our followers are our fellow agriculturalists. You still got uh, the altos in the choir. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, a lot of the people that are actually seeing the vegans are just other farmers anyhow. So we, um, you know, I, I don't ever want the vegans and, and the chance of your page being attacked to stop people from outreach because it, it unfortunately is part of it. But I don't think it's worse than it ever was before. It's just different. It's like there's a larger target. You know, with more right. voices, they have a bigger, broader um, ability to, to hit more of them and you know, I don't know. It just seems to me like everybody now is more familiar with Twitter and and Facebook and the platforms that they have available to them that they use it in a more targeted fashion, it feels like. So they they do the same things that we do. Yeah. Agriculture. <laughs> so, so say somebody like PETA puts out a post that is ridiculous to the dairy industry. 
people that they're really dumb. Well, guess what? The vegans do the exact same thing to us. They take our posts and share it into their groups and say, go comment on this post because they're dumb. Like, it's it's the same thing back and forth. Man, bless your heart for being on the front lines. (sighs) I drink beer, man. (laughs) So... When I wrote the Joaquin Post, one thing I really wanted to be clear of is that I respect people's choice to eat what they choose to eat, even if it is um, for reasons that I don't agree with or if it's directly against something that I raise. So Joaquin's a vegan. Great. He's never going to be a customer of mine. Fine. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. I just want to talk about the bigger issues. and. And so the reason I ultimately decided to write this post is because, um, not because I wanted to take on his comments about artificial insemination of cows or um, separating cows and calves, like that wasn't my intent. Um, I did link to posts that I had already wrote about that, um, about those topics. But my thing that I wanted to get out there was, okay, Joaquin, you say you care about hunger, Um, You even serve on a board of an organization that helps make sure that kids in Soweto, South Africa, have food. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, you're railing against food that is very nutrient-dense, affordable, and easily accessible by millions of at-risk people in our own country. So, um, you know, the, the thing about milk is, you know, it's more affordable than a lot of other proteins. Kids generally like it. And what I would like to point out is you can get milk just about anywhere. Like, you can be in a food desert in Nevada and and get to a grocery store or a gas station and there is milk. Or you can be in Brooklyn in your corner bodega has milk. Yeah. So, um this is, you know, something that we need to think about in a, a different way than um, a lot of times we we share. So just the practicality of of having milk out there is is really important. And when you talk to vegans or activists, and they just don't quite latch onto that piece, and and it's frustrating to me that if you're going to be a proponent of getting rid of animal products. You're not bringing solutions to the table mm-hmm. to replace those. So uh, my my point with my my letter was to really kind of call attention to that. I I kind of dropped a a uh, a little plug for a program I work with with our local food bank to get milk to our local food bank in there, and they got some donations out of it, which was great. Um, well, you know, dairy dot dot com. Oh. Oh, what was uh, that again? GiveDairy.com. GiveDairy.com. Okay. Yeah. So. You know, over here in Garden City, we actually have a dehydration plant for milk. And that powder right, right. goes overseas and it gets used yeah. in products that add protein to um, all sorts of products, add flavor to all sorts of products that are shelf-stable. Right. And, right. and, and yeah. that movement of skim milk powder is so important for the dairy industry. Carrie, the dairy farmers have had it rough the last two years. Um, can you s- explain what it's like to our listeners who don't quite get how the milk gets 
from the cow to the tank to the truck to the processor and to their shelves and how the dairy farmers get paid? It's kind of confusing. That's <laughs> extremely confusing. Like there's a, a saying that, you know, there's two people that understand how dairy farmers get paid. One of them's dead and one of them's lying. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it's actually been the last four years that we have been receiving um, prices that are, are pretty much below cost of production. So milk is a commodity. Um, you know, we don't set our price for it. Uh, exports have been weak. That leaves more milk domestically. As we get better at, at everything we do in dairy, we produce more milk. Um, it's just kind of a perfect storm that caused there just to, to be too much milk out there. And a lot of people think, well, dairy consumption's down, and that's why um, you know the farmers are in bad shape. And that's not actually true. Milk consumption is down, but overall dairy consumption is at like historically high levels. So people are eating yogurt and cheese like crazy, but not necessarily drinking milk. Um, but that doesn't matter when there's just too much milk out there. So um, prices have finally risen above cost of production levels for most people, but we've lost a lot of dairy farms in the last few years. It's been pretty brutal. You know, speaking um, about that, Carrie, dairy's going under and, and neighbors and, you know, some people have have even committed suicide. Um, yeah. And and that's something that that touches us all because we look at our neighbors and we don't we see the distress. There's been so much trouble in in people's hearts and and in their families in regards to an operation. It's their business, but it's also their family business, and and their family are the shareholders, and their family are the are the people that they look in the eye and go, you know, we're caring for these animals, and we can't we can't make even, you know, the payments on some equipment here. Right. Talk about the amount of stress that dairy farmers have right now between the prices that they saw the last four years and the day-to-day stress of making sure that cattle are, are comfortable and the family living needs are met. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I think I learned, I didn't grow up on a dairy, I didn't grow up in ag. <laughs> so this was a, a learning curve for me. But what I, I've talked to other farmers, and they make the joke like, yeah, I'd never be a dairy farmer. <laughs> so, because, you know, obviously all farmers are very committed to what they do, and it's, it's intense for all of us. But I do think dairy really amps that up with the twice a day, every day, at least milking and, and just no break at all. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times in farming, in, in dairy specifically, we're just taxed to the max. You know, it's seven days a week, 365 days a year, very rare to, to get a break. And you can't just, you know, have somebody come in and, and feed animals so you can can get away for a day. You know, it's just so intense. There's no easy way to um, get that break for a lot of our farmers. And you just grinding on all the time and you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and and there's just doesn't ever seem to be an end in sight it it wears on you even even people who aren't necessarily prone to to having depression or you know haven't battled depression in the past when you get into a cycle like we've been in for the last you know four years it's really hard and i'm so thankful to 
see how many people in ag have said, you know what, we need to talk about mental health. We need to stop the stigma that goes along with it. So I've, uh, I'm part of the Dairy Girl Network, um, and in our organization, we've really been working on um, building mental health services for our members and the industry across, across the board. Um, I've seen lots of co-ops and suppliers stop and say, okay, it's time that we talk about this and let's get resources together. So I'm really thankful that that is kind of the popular thing to talk about. Whoever thought that mental health would be the popular mm-hmm. thing to talk about in agriculture, but yeah. um, we're doing it and thank God you we know, are. It is saving lives. I tell you what, I was a farm kid of the 80s, so is Kayleen and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, it seems, but you you had you you knew when you were a little kid there were quiet conversations among the adults and you went to auctions and you played with other kids, but the adults were crying and there were you know, there was a lot of stress. But as you get older then you realize, well, that's why we had the funeral. That's why we had that auction, that's why this stuff happened. And you start putting the pieces together. And then I think it's our generation. I really do. I think it's our generation that just said, no more. No more. We're not going to cowboy up. You're not going to rub some dirt on it and walk it off. And you're not going to just, you know, ignore it. Go address the situation. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't tell somebody that's got a badly broken arm, oh, just walk it off. (laughs) But, you know, I might tell my son that, but yeah, I, like, I tell mine that too. Which broken eventually? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. No, no, it, it's really true, and I, thank goodness that you know this is one of the values that younger generations have brought back to the farm is that um, that we value having conversations that were taboo in the past, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I know we've gotten really serious here, <laughs> but it's yeah. it's important though for people that are outside of agriculture to understand just what goes into that gallon of milk, and right. you know not to not to really just focus on what they perceive as a a tragedy. You know, there's a right. reason for everything that we do in in the dairies. There's a reason for everything that we do in in production agriculture across the board. And there are people, actual people behind it, and you're a person behind that. And so, you know, we just want to say thanks for doing that. But what else can we do as agricultural supporters, as people that love dairy? I got to say, I already carry cheese with me on the plane. So since I've done that, <laughs> I don't you know. Have, the rule. I know. I know the rules. It's Carrie's law. As long as you have yeah. cheese in your, in your um, carry-on bag, you will not get delayed. And since I've started following that rule, I have not had delays, Kayleen. I'm telling you, I learned the hard way. <laughs> you have to appease the travel god with some cheese on your person at all times. At NCBA, they had a session where they were talking about using uh, beef bulls on dairy cows to right. yeah. produce a different sort of end product. And on the chairs, right. they had beef jerky sticks and cheese in the, in the package. And I had those in my bag on the way home, my carry on bag, <laughs> but everything was fine. No delays, but my bag didn't show up. <laughs> oh, I guess you should have put the string cheese in your other bag. I guess. <laughs> then your bag would have got there and you wouldn't. Probably. <laughs> so I think that one thing that I see so much of is just a general misunderstanding 
across all of agriculture, but there's a lot of sniping at big farms. Oh, well, the big farms caused this. And, and that's not necessarily the case. So the cow herd, you know, the number of cows in, in the U.S., dairy cows, hasn't really changed. Um, so we're getting more milk out of the same amount of cows. And, and that's not a big farm, small farm thing. That's just farmers doing better, right? Like mm-hmm. we are getting better at feeding our cows. We're getting better with genetics. And, and that all comes together. So when you buy that gallon of milk at the store, it doesn't matter, you know, what the brand is, if it's the generic or the, the name brand. It's coming from farms of all sizes, right? Yeah. And you can support dairy farmers by just buying that milk. You don't have to, you know, go out of your way to, to buy, you know, a specific brand just because you think that that's what you need to do to support small farms. It's, it's across the board. Sorry, I'm sidetracked here. No, that's um, okay. <laughs> it's when you're, when you're buying dairy, you're supporting farmers and, that, and that's really what we need. Yeah. Um, and we need to, to spend less time sniping about small and large and, and um, just understand that each, each farm has its place out there. Um, For sure. And, I agree. And that's, that's what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we love our farmers. Uh, we may be biased because we write for High Plains Journal. I mean, okay. you know, <laughs> it is kind of our bread and butter, literally, Carrie. <laughs> yes. We cover wheat and beef. <laughs> we, we, I was going to say, wheat, butter, got it. Yeah, yep, there I, you I, go. <laughs> So, you know, we're, we're kind of biased towards our, our farmers and, and supporting our agriculture. Um, you've had, okay, so back to the, the viral blog, blog post, you've had yeah. quite, quite a, a, you know, it's gone viral. Um, yeah. How far has this reached? Uh, what's been some of the reactions that you've gotten outside of the ag choir? So I am... Um... Last I checked, it was a few days ago. It had been viewed over three hundred thousand times, and it's. Um, I got picked up um, and quoted in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and then that turned into USA Today, and that turned into Yahoo Entertainment, and I think PopCulture.com. Like um, all these entertainment sites were linking back to my blog, which is pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. that's that's pretty far outside the choir to. Oh, yeah. Um, to have that link. So that was uh, pretty great to, to really get out there. And personally, like on Instagram and stuff, I really put a lot of focus on connecting to um, moms like me in between Madison and Milwaukee in our area. Um, I had a lot of those gals come back to me and say, wow, that was cool. Like I learned something. And, and I can track where people like click in from and, and what they go and look at on my site um, after they read. And there's a lot of people who, who read the Joaquin Post and then just kind of kept going. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of people who did stay on my site and clicked around and, and read posts about how we care for cows, how we care for calves, why we do this, why we do that. And, and there was lots of great questions that came back out of that. So um, it was nice to have one that, that got past the choir. You know, maybe he did a little bit of good. By... I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Add some of his fame onto our 
or words. <laughs> exactly. So um, remind us again those important websites that uh, that you work with, um, the website to donate food to, that you work with, and then, um, of course, your your website. So my website is dairycarry.com, um, C-A-R-R-I-E. You can find me on any social media platform as Barry Carey. Um, I'm on Snapchat, but I don't really snap very often, so I will say that. Um, <laughs> We're too old for Snapchat, <laughs> too young for life alert. <laughs> yes. I, just, I forget what I said on Snapchat, and then it's gone, and then I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so this organization for Second Harvest Food Bank, um, I worked with them to develop and adopt a dairy cow program. So you can go to givedairy.com, and you can adopt. You can pick out which cow you want to adopt. And then you donate either a day, a week, or a month, or a year's worth of her production um, equivalent. And that goes um, to buying dairy products for food banks. Wow. That's yeah, pretty neat. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So what does is, what is the cow produce a month? It depends on which cow you pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the high-producing cow, what does she what does she give? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I <laughs> can't remember off the top of my head what Ballpark. she is. <laughs> Um, on our farm, let's see, about 300 gallons a month. Wow. That's a, that's an entire, that's an entire case at a, at a grocery store would be 300. That's no, that's like three cases at a grocery store just by yourself. Yeah. They're remarkable. That's crazy. You know, I tell you what, I grew up raising beef cattle, but just the sheer fact that they can take grass and, and food products that we could not eat, stale bread. I mean, Kayleen, you had mm-hmm. family members that, that fed day-old bread to and beef cattle. Donuts and tortillas and all kinds yeah. of stuff. <laughs> they can take things that we wouldn't we would turn our noses up at and right. through the power of, you know, nature. Rumination. Yeah, and rumination nature and rumination. <laughs> yeah. You get delicious dairy and awesome steaks. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. that's tremendous way of boosting up the nutrient value of just a few blades of grass or a little bit of silage feed and and that sort of thing. That's awesome the way that nature and, works. Agreed. And dairy dairy cows have that full package too, where you know they provide milk for us, and um, and then at the end of their dairy career, mm-hmm. they have a little career change, and then they provide awesome burgers. Yes, yep. they do. Not too shabby. <laughs> All right, Carrie, thanks for riding with us this week. And Joaquin, if you're you're listening, maybe ask people other than your handlers, your hangers-on about real-life situations, real-life struggles to feed children without a Hollywood salary in the millions. Amen, Kayleen. <laughs> I couldn't have said yes. it better. <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, thanks, ladies. Thank you, Carrie, for riding with us, and we'll see you on the trail, okay? Take care. <laughs> Your grain market prices from Dodge City's Pride Ag Resources on February 11th. Corn was up at $3.70, wheat was up at $4.25, milo was down at $3.15, and soybeans were up at $7.70. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email.
Be sure to watch for the soil health added value issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes February 24th with a story from Jenny. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends.